Bible. And so today, as we go to Genesis 4, we're going to talk about Cain. But in order to talk about Cain, I want to introduce this. And Chuck Swindoll, in his book, Fascinating Stories of Forgotten Lives, introduces it in a way that I'm going to share in just a moment. First, talking about Cain, really what I want to get to is talking about worship. Talking about worship and why we worship and how we worship. In order to talk about worship, I want to talk about murder and jealousy and vengeance and sin. In other words, as we talk about those things, we have all the elements of a typical movie, except for one person. Today's passage also has God in it. Today's passage also has forgiveness and grace and mercy in it, as we talk about Cain. We talk about that. So we come to... Uh, the introduction, and in the introduction, it, 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 it's sadly interesting. You know, I have gone through, and what well, Chuck Swindoll actually did in his book, and I put that into my sermon, uh, many of the mass murder sprees that have happened. And sadly, there was one just yesterday. And I want to say, before I read any of these, that statistically, it seems like they're getting worse. But in reality, they're not. It's about the same. Actually, schools are getting safer. There was an article in the news in, in May about that. Schools are actually getting safer. What we have now is instantaneous reporting. Murder, unfortunately, and even mass murder sprees have always been around. Swindoll writes, A person can have no greater negative impact than when he or she takes the life of another. And to the shame of humanity, our historical past are littered with acts of murder. Here's a chilling thought. As I write these words, somewhere, someone is planning to kill another. And as you read these words, the intended victim of that insidious scheme will soon die. Swindoll says, I'm continually amazed by the sheer number of murders, especially mass killing sprees. I'll spare you the bloody details. My desire is to illustrate, not shock. But here's just a small sample. On September 6, 1949, in only 12 minutes... 13 people were fatally shot in Camden, New Jersey. Howard Unra, the murderer, said later, I'd have killed a thousand if I had enough bullets. On July 14, 1966, eight student nurses were stabbed and or strangled in a Chicago dormitory by Richard Speck, age 24. Not many days after that, on August 1, 1966, Charles Whitman climbed on the top of a tower on the University of Texas campus with his loaded high-powered rifle. He ended the lives of 16 people before the police were able to kill the sniper. On Easter Sunday in 1975, 11 people, including eight children, were killed at a family gathering in Hamilton, Ohio. James Rupert was convicted of two of the murders, but found not guilty by reason of insanity for the other nine. Swindoll writes, I have no idea how that works. It just doesn't make sense. September 25, 1982, George Banks shot and killed 13 people, including five children, in a township in Pennsylvania. 1983, Feb February 19, 1983, Willie Mack and Benjamin Nag shot 13 people in the head, killing all of them during the robbery of a gambling club in Seattle. On Palm Sunday in 1984, Christopher Thomas ended the lives of 10 people, including eight children, in an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. The judge cited extreme emotional disturbance in the man. On July 18, 1984, James Oliver Huberty entered a McDonald's restaurant in San Ysidro, California with a gun and randomly killed 21 people before a police sharpshooter 
into the nightmare. On December 7, 1987, Daniel Burke, an airplane employee, airline employee, bypassed security with his credentials and a pistol and boarded Pacific Southwest Airlines Flight 1771. At 29,000 feet, he killed the pilots, then himself. The plane crashed, killing all 44 passengers and crew. On January 17, 1989, Patrick Edward Purdy went back to the elementary school he attended as a child and shot 35 people, killing five children. Then he killed himself. On May 1, 1992, Eric Houston returned to his former high school, shooting 14 people, killing four. He said it was retribution for the failing grade he received in history class four years earlier. December 7, 1994, Colin Ferguson methodically shot 25 people aboard a Long Island train, killing six of them, and he stopped to reload twice. On March 24, 1998, two boys, ages 13 and 11, shot 16 people in Jonesboro, Arkansas, killing four girls and a teacher. And the last one on my list today is Columbine, and you know of it. Eric Harris, Dallas Klebold, uh, killed 12 fellow students. Swindoll continues, but I'm going to summarize and share what he adds to that. You know, you could go on and look at FBI claims of, of serial killers, and you could look at others. Chuck Colson has done reporting to show that America actually has a higher killing rate than other countries, a higher murder rate. And we look at some of these things and we think, what's the problem? What's the problem? We see the problem way back in Genesis. It's answers in Genesis, really. Uh, no pun intended. The problem is sin. Sin in the world. Sin in the camp. We'll talk about that in a few weeks as we go through these people of the Bible. Uh, we talk about Achan in a few weeks. And sin in the camp. The problem is sin entered the world in Genesis 3. And ever since then, there has been murder. The first murder, Genesis 4. So let's talk about that. And let's talk about the reasons behind it. And with Cain and Abel, the reasons go back to jealousy and go back to worship, really. We're going to look at jealousy today. Cain jealously kills Abel. It's interesting as I was studying, and I want to share this with you. In Genesis 3, we have the devil slithering around as a serpent, talking, tempting, and distorting the truth. And Adam and Eve fall into sin. Then we come to Genesis 4, and we have a description of sin as an animal crouching at the door with a desire to overtake an individual. What an image. I saw the Lion King last week. I like big cats, like lions when they're on the TV screen. Um, and, you know, you imagine that picture in Genesis 4, verse 7, sin crouching at the door like a lion ready to pounce. And that's what sin does want to do. Its desire is to destroy and to kill and to hurt. In Genesis 3, we have the why. Why do these bad things happen? Why sin? That's Genesis 3. In Genesis 4, we have the what. What is happening that is sinful? Chapter 3 gives the cause, and Genesis chapter 4 gives the effect. Sin. Its effects are deadly. In Genesis 4, we have this picture of sin wanting to overtake Cain, like a snake, like a lion, like a bear, crouching ready to pounce. And though I want to come to that picturesque image of sin, I mainly want to focus on, focus on sacrifice. I mainly want to focus on worship. Let's look at a couple passages. I stay in Genesis chapter 4, but first I want to read from Hebrews 11, verse 4. Hebrews 11, 4. It says, By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. 
God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Now let's look at Genesis 4. I'm going to read all 16 verses. It's the word of God, and it's the most important thing that I want you to get today. Let's read the passage. Now the man, which would be Adam, had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the first fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Which shows he had the ability to master it. Verse 8. Cain told Abel his brother. By the way, that's really interesting. Cain told Abel his brother. Never thought about that uh, before a couple weeks ago, a week and a half ago. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed the ground, which has opened up his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You'll be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, so that no one finding him would slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. It's a passage. Cain murdered Abel, being jealous of his more acceptable sacrifice. That's my theme today. Cain murdered Abel, being jealous of his more acceptable sacrifice. And here's an application for you to remember. Are we religious or righteous? Do we serve God out of duty or because we are pursuing righteousness? Are we religious or righteous? Do we serve God out of duty or because we are pursuing righteousness through Jesus Christ? First, let's talk about Cain and Abel. Then we'll come back to those applications. Adam and Eve have a son, and they name him Cain. Chuck Swindoll, in his book, Fascinating Stories of Forgotten Life, shares the following about this. He writes, Remember, this was the very first birth of a child ever. It's pretty amazing. Very first birth of a child ever. Eve took part in a miracle that only God had performed before. The creation of a human life. This had to have been an overwhelming thought. So Eve gave him a name that would forever remind her of that miracle. Adam and Eve then produced another son. The biblical text offers a small hint 
that he might have been a twin. At any rate, he is given the name Abel, which is the Hebrew word for breath, vapor, or futility. Now, we know that names meant a lot back then. So Abel's name, meaning breath, vapor, futility, may have more significance. But Eve did not comment on his name. So we can only speculate as to why she chose it. Perhaps she meant that he was slight or fragile. Maybe he was sickly. Maybe it's prophetic that he would live a short life. The word brother is used six times in verses 9 through 11. Six times in verses 9 through 11 of this story. As if to punctuate the seriousness of the crime. The first couple had marital relations and Eve become, became pregnant, ultimately giving birth to their first son, whom they named Cain, or it's Cain in the Hebrew. Cain in the Hebrew. His name is most likely a wordplay on the Hebrew term Kana because of Eve's statement in verse 1. I've gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. Kana has two possible meanings to acquire or to create. To acquire or to create. Many translations opt for the former. Swindoll writes that he thinks the second meaning makes better sense, which would make Eve's statement the following. I have created a man just as the Lord did. I have created a man just as the Lord did. Frankly, that's not a bad way of looking at it from a mother's point of view. Adam and Eve have another son named Abel, as we've shared. And I cannot prove this, but just using a sanctified imagination, think about this. Cain and Abel are brothers. They, they likely grew up together. I imagine they worked together. They, they shared life together. They shared life's experiences together. I mean, maybe they shared a tent or a bedroom. Maybe they argued and fought like brothers, which must be a little bit better than the way sisters argue or fight. I'm just going to say, those high-pitched screams can get quite annoying. But I grew up with two brothers. I know how brothers fight. Maybe they played around together, fought together, shared together. I'm sure they were together a lot. Now later on we read that Adam and Eve had many other children in Genesis 5.3. They had many other children. So they had other people to hang out with as the family grew. We also know that Cain is banished in, later on in this chapter. And as Cain is banished, Cain is concerned about the other people killing him. So we know that there were many others as well. So I imagine that as two boys and as two brothers... They grew up together. They were the first two boys of Adam and Eve. The first two children of creation. And that reminds me of the many times as I've conducted funerals, and I've conducted a lot of funerals, officiated a lot of funerals, and hear about families divided, and family divisions, and family members that won't come to the funeral because of some division that happened 500 years before. There's a little hyperbole there. but And how sad that is when family members grow up together, play together, and then can't get along. All goes back to Genesis 3. Sin in the world. Abel was a shepherd. Cain was a farmer, which were common occupations back then. And Cain brought a sacrifice of the ground. Abel brought a blood sacrifice. Later on, there were grain sacrifices by Israelite law. So that was not a wrong thing that Cain did. It was not wrong that Cain's sacrifice was not a blood sacrifice. But we read here that Abel brought of the first fruits of his flock. Abel brought of the first fruits of the flock. And 
And I think that is key as we look at this passage. I really do think that's key because we don't really know exactly why the Lord had displeasure with Cain's sacrifice and pleasure in Abel's. But we do get a little hint. Abel brought of the first fruits of his flock, of the first fruits of his flock. Abel did not pick the animal that was lame or the smaller one. No, the sacrifice was one of the firstborn. It was as if Abel was saying, God, I love you so much that I'm making this sacrifice. I love you so much that I'm giving you my very best, the very best. Cain and Abel knew immediately God's pleasure and displeasure. And I wonder... Just think about this. This is a real story. How did it happen? I wonder, how did Cain and Abel know God's pleasure and displeasure? How did Cain know that the Lord had displeasure with his sacrifice? How did Abel know that the Lord had pleasure with his sacrifice? And I read one person a number of years ago who said, maybe the Lord had fire from heaven, which came down and consumed Abel's sacrifice. That happened later on in the Old Testament. That, that's possible. Either way, we know that Cain knew of the Lord's displeasure, and Abel knew of the Lord's pleasure. They make the sacrifices. The Lord had displeasure, and Cain was mad that God did not show pleasure in his sacrifice. Cain's face changed. Cain became very angry. It says in verse 5 that his countenance actually fell. The idiom means that the inner anger is reflected in Cain's facial expression. Cain has had inner anger, which was reflected in his facial expression. The fallen or downcast face expresses anger, dejection, or depression. Conversely, in number six, the high priestly blessing speaks of the Lord lifting up his face and giving peace. In the next few verses, God speaks to Cain, and that is where we have the illustration of sin crouching at his door. Cain ignores this and kills his brother. Cain deceives his brother. He actually deceives him. It's, this is premeditated murder. He leads him out into the, into the fields and kills him. The Lord talks to Cain in verse 9. By the way, there are amazing similarities between the way the Lord talks to Cain in verse 9 and the way the Lord talks to Adam in Genesis 3. Amazing similarities between Genesis 3 and Genesis 4. The Lord provides a merciful punishment to Cain. You know, many times when we look at these passages, all we see is God's wrath or God's judgment. But here we see God's mercy. We see God's grace. We see God's love for the way he took care of Cain. By the way, uh, I've always wondered, you know, was Cain repentant? Was Cain saved? We do see some of the wording here. It looks like Cain may be repentant. The Moody Bible Commentary, the author of the Genesis part of the Moody Bible Commentary, believes that Cain was repentant. And that's why uh, this is worded this way. That's why the Lord protected him and watched over him. So that certainly could be, it could be true, and we'll know someday when we're in heaven. God does not kill Cain right away. In fact, God protects Cain. You know, Cain is no longer to be a farmer, though. He has to wander the earth. He can't be a farmer. And then, by the way, we see the mark of Cain. And there's been much speculation about that, and I'm not going to get into that today. We'll leave that for your imagination or conspiracy, whatever you want to do with that. But there's a lot of writing about it, and we just don't know what the mark of Cain was. So what is an acceptable sacrifice today? Let's think about that for a minute. Abel gave an acceptable sacrifice, and that begs the question, what is an acceptable sacrifice today? 
And I want to challenge all of you that there is no acceptable sacrifice today. Jesus is the one and only sacrifice for our sins. And so none of you need to go home and slaughter your pet. You don't have to do that. You can take care of your pet or do whatever you want with your pet, but there is no acceptable sacrifices. In fact, I believe the whole Old Testament is making the case that none of the sacrifices were good enough. We needed a Savior. We needed a Savior. So Jesus came and took our place. And so we must respond, and we must not respond to Jesus out of duty, but love and devotion to him. So let's talk about some applications. And I want to put all the applications under one application, religion versus righteousness. Religion versus righteousness. The religious person goes to God and serves God out of pure duty. It's all duty. It's, it's not out of love. It's just out of duty. The righteous person goes to God and serves him out of love. The religious person thinks that he or she can earn heaven by duty. Listen, if you could earn heaven by duty, Jesus would not have had to go to the cross. The righteous person accepts Christ's righteousness. None of us can be righteous, but we can receive, Christ, receive Christ's righteousness and surrender to him. It seems that Abel's sacrifice was not pure duty, but pure love. We must give a sacrifice out of love, not duty. This means that we must love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul. Love the Lord our God with all of our being. We must give God our love in devotion and not sacrifice. 1 Corinthians 10.31 is a wonderful passage. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do we do all to the glory of God? Out of love, not duty, not legalisms. Abel gave out of the first fruits. We must not give God our last but our first. And this is a strong application for us in America. Because I dare say most of us... Do not give God our best. We give God our last. We do not give God our first. We give God our last. This applies to money. This means that we must give God our first in money. This applies to our energy as well. We must not wait until we are tired to read devotions and pray. We must give God our best time. We must not stay out late on Saturday night or up late and fall asleep in worship. Now, I don't want to be too critical. I recognize some of you just, I'm not looking at anybody and saying that. I wrote this weeks ago, okay? But I do want to say, if worship matters so much to us, let's think about it Saturday, Saturday and not wait until Sunday morning. Prepare for it Saturday night, not on Sunday morning. Too often... I've heard every excuse in the world. I've gotten text messages on Sunday morning saying, I'm in a deer stand. I'm not going to make it to worship today. How am I supposed to respond to that? Well, you know, think about that on Saturday night. If worship is what matters to us. And it really bothers me because I go home and I tell Megan, it's like we're trying to grow a church with halfway committed people. And how are we supposed to stand for Christ when we're threatened with prison as they are in North Korea and many countries when we can't stand for Christ when sports are at stake or a hunting day or something else? We want to stay up late for the Indians game or something else. How much does Jesus matter to us? And do we want to give him our first or our last? 
We need to give God our best. We must prepare for our time with God and prepare for worship. I've shared this before. I love it. It's a quote from Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife. And, it's, and, and she said on Saturday night, she spends extra time in prayer and scripture reading to prepare for Sunday morning. I mean, how do we prepare our Saturday nights? for worship on Sunday morning. Are you praying that God would bring visitors here and people who do not know the Lord? Are we praying about that? Does it matter to us? Abel seemed to have an attitude. There was not only duty, but faith in loving God. We must have an attitude of faith and loving and committing to God. We must ask God to take away our constant drive to make a relationship with Him simply duty and not relationship. We have a relationship with God. That is amazing. Take that in. Do we care? Hebrews 12, 24. The blood of Abel was a temporary sacrifice, but Jesus' sacrifice is forever. We must trust in Jesus. Hebrews eleven four. By faith, Abel brought God a better sacrifice, a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was committed as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. Thousands of years later, Abel was remembered for his faithful sacrifice, while Cain is remembered for his first murder because of jealousy. I want to, I always am reflecting on what I said and what I'm going to hear about on Monday from what I said in the pulpit. Someone once said in certain church uh, situations, you could preach on Sunday and be afraid of being fired on Monday. And, um, and though I'm not afraid of that, I understand that some of you have to work overnight or some of you have to work on Sundays and have really commitments that you can't get out of. And I understand that. So what I'm getting at are things that we can control. Do we value giving God our best in worship and in devotions? In having a relationship with God. What a privilege to have a relationship with God. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Do you know him? Somebody once described God as the hound of heaven chasing us down, wanting a relationship with us. Do you realize that God wants a relationship with all of you? God desires that relationship. And he doesn't desire the relationship where you just say a sinner's prayer at one point and then live like the world. He desires a constant relationship with you. And that's awesome. And it's a relationship of confessing that we are a sinner in need of a Savior. It's a relationship of believing that Jesus is the one and only Savior. It's a relationship of committing our lives to Him and trusting Him day to day with our lives. It's a, it's a relationship of firmly making the decision to be with Jesus in order to become like Him and to learn and do all that Jesus says. And then arrange your affairs around Him, making Him Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, today is a day of salvation. Maybe you've done it years ago, but you're not living for him. And then today is a day of following Jesus, repenting of those past things and turning to Jesus and following Jesus. I'm going to give a prayer right now, and I'll invite Pastor Bill to come up and lead the closing hymn. Uh, we'll just sing the first two verses of the hymn. So, Ken, if you could catch that. And you have to use your hymn books. That's odd. Okay. Um, use your hymn books, and t- he'll tell you the hymn, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray your blessings as we go, and Bill will pray that in a minute. But right now, I pray especially, help us to have a relationship with you, of trusting in you as Lord and Savior, committing to you, having a relationship with you. Lord, help us to have a relationship with you, of giving you our first and our best. And Jesus, we recognize that none of the sacrifices were good enough, but you took care of it. 
because you want a relationship with us. You came and you died in our place on the cross, and you rose again, living a victorious, resurrected life, interceding for us with God the Father so that we can have an eternal relationship with you. Lord God, if there's anyone here who is not trusting you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of confessing your sinners in need of a Savior, believing in you as only Savior, trusting in you and committing to you. Lord God, we know angels in heaven rejoice over one person, one sinner who repents. Help us living for you. We thank you, Lord, that we have the Holy Spirit with us. We don't live the Christian life alone. We live it with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you're able. Amen.